Welcome to Tea Time with Chris, a podcast that celebrates faith, humor, and the power of storytelling. I'm Chris Tomlinson, your host, and I'm thrilled to invite you to join me for engaging conversations with people from all walks of life. Together, we'll sip some tea, or whatever you prefer, and explore life's joys and challenges with a focus on hope, inspiration, and positivity. I'll also share some of my personal stories and some poetry to add a touch of intimacy and creativity to our chats. So join me as we spread love, joy, and laughter with each episode. Welcome to Tea Time with Chris. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Tea Time with Chris. I'm your host, Chris Tomlinson, and today's episode, we have another amazing guest interview. But before we jump into that, we have to get to the flavor tea of the week. So this week's flavor of tea, and hopefully I will say it right, is white peony, peony, peony. Another name for it is Bai Muldan. Origin is China, and it's made from the young leaves and buds of the camellia, camellia sinensis plant. It has a delicate and subtle flavor profile characterized by a mild sweetness and floral undertones. It is often described as having a smooth and refreshing taste. White tea is known for its high concentration of antioxidants, may help protect against cellular damage, and promote overall well-being. It is also believed to have potential benefits for skin health, supporting the immune system, and promoting relaxation. Sounds interesting. I don't know if I'd uh, say it's my cup of tea, per se, but then again, the flavor sounds pretty good, though. Characterized by a mild sweetness and floral undertone. Sounds good. If you tried it before, shoot me a message to the website and let me know how it tastes. You know, be interested to know. So today's episode, another guest interview, and she is a friend of mine that I have met through social media um, a few years now, and her name is Kara Morris. So before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to give a little slight warning, possible triggers for people, or some situations brought up that may be hard for people to listen to if they're going through it or if they've gone through it or if it's just something that that they can't really handle Kara's story is very heart-wrenching and it's it's very rough what she talks about and I just wanted to give a warning beforehand but I feel like her story needs to be told and it's an amazing story of strength and courage and you'll see just you'll see so without further ado let's jump into today's episode of Tea Time with Chris. start off with you just introducing yourself just a little bit about yourself. My name is Kara Kaylee Moore. I currently live in Arizona and I grew up most of my life in California so for 13 years and moved to Arizona when I was 13. Nice. Do you like living in California? Um, one thing I genuinely miss a lot about California is fall. Oh yes. It was my favorite. I, I loved it. It was super festive. I loved the smell of fall leaves mm. and like the fireplace and everything. Like you smell people burning their fireplaces and the wood yeah. in the fireplace. It always smelled so good and it was just so much. It just felt so cozy. And yeah. here in Arizona, we don't have fall. It's <laughs> hot. Yeah, that's how it is in Florida. I miss um, up in Massachusetts where I lived most of my life. I, we had all four seasons, so fall was my favorite. I loved just it had like a, a a feeling in the air for some reason to me. It just felt it did. It was like really a nice, nice magical, cozy feeling. Yeah, 
and the air was like crisp it wasn't like too cold or anything it was just that perfect crisp right. and it was just that smell of the leaves and i loved fall i miss it so much i always tell people i'm like i'm such a white girl for fall like it comes <laughs> out <laughs> it's all right but other than that i do miss because i used to live like maybe about a couple hours away from yosemite park mm. And I love going there. It was so beautiful. I miss the the green, mm. how green it was. And I don't miss the summers because the summers were wet and hot. But Christmas and uh, fall was my favorite uh, season. So moving to Arizona was very big change for me because where I grew up up north, where it was all mountains and it was country. It was it was nice. It was a agricultural area. So most of our traffic jams was a tractor going too slow. So <laughs> here it's just like moving to Arizona. It's hot. It's dry. The air is spicy. When you breathe, it just feels like sriracha in your lungs. You're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like it feels like that moment when you're trying to check on your cookies when you open up the oven. And it, it just rushes. Like that heat. Yeah, that heat that just punches you. It salts you in the face. That's just Arizona in general. It gets up to like 120. Oof, and um, oh, it is so bad. And I remember one time because um, my old shoes from California, I didn't realize they weren't built for heat. So I went to walk outside in 120 degrees and my shoes melted into the street. Oh, wow. It was terrible. That's crazy. So I was upset. Yeah, I was forced to move here because I was underage. I couldn't fight against it. But now that I live here, I've learned to enjoy the beauty of Arizona and it has mm. the prettiest sunsets I've ever seen. Oh, so man. other than that, I do miss California. I do get homesick for the fall seasons and Christmas seasons where it's nice and cozy and cold. At the same time, every time I visit California, I get homesick for Arizona. So yeah. it's my home well, right yeah. now. It's pretty cool though. I have a few friends out in California. Um, one lives south of Hollywood. So he's uh, in he's... LA, but he's up north in LA. Yeah. Did you ever get to go to the um see the redwoods in California? Oh, I love the redwood forest. It is Did so you get to? beautiful. <sighs> yeah, I, I go went so there. bad. So the railroad forest is really cool because there's a there's a couple of trees where they burrowed into them and they're big enough to fit a car through the hole. Wow. And the tree's still alive. Like it's alive and everything. And it's so cool. There's a tree where they have a store built into it. Oh, wow. Where they burrowed into the trunk. That one was really interesting. And it's, you see these giant trees. They're like the biggest trees in the world. And their pine cones are so small. And really? the seeds are so itty bitty. Like I thought these oh. would be like massive pine cones, but they're yeah. itty bitty. I didn't even it's know they made pine cones. Yeah, they make pine cones. It's like a weird little oval greenish pine cone. And oh, wow. when it, opens these little seeds that are like a centimeter big like less than a centimeter comes out of it and they're so tiny and i'm just like imagine that just the biggest one of the biggest trees in the world produce is produced from the tiniest little seed it's always amazing to me they normally grow whenever they're burned so if there's fire that's when they grow which is crazy but these trees like when you look at them and you see how massive they are you're just like wow how is that even possible that they're this big yeah i bet so i advise if you go to california always go to the redwood forest it is beautiful there yeah i want to go so bad so bad it's worth it it's worth it when you go in the winter time if you go in the winter time bring a buddy it's (laughs) so much more beautiful in the winter time because it snows nice would you like to tell us a little about what you've been through in your past and whatever you feel comfortable talking about? I was born in a narcissistic family full of narcissists, psychopaths, and pedophiles. I've endured every form of abuse by before the age of 10. I've been in and out of the foster care system, whether it be a uh, majority of my foster parents were family members. And um, it's I did not have an easy life growing up. I never really knew my father still to this day, don't I? I recently cut contact with him within the past few years he never really wanted me he'd always make it clear uh, I knew at the age of seven that he wanted me aborted because my mom told me I don't really know much about my father mm. the little bits and pieces that I do know of my dad is not good mm. and don't get me wrong I love my parents to death I love them both but they aren't the nicest people mm. but growing up I think the things that stuck with me the most growing up was one of my siblings they were diagnosed as a psychopath when they were 16 like 15, 16 years old, I would often watch this person 
beat the living daylights out of my other sibling. I and I would watch them beat the crap out of my mom mm. and to the point where they'd be covered in blood and I would be like four years old watching it in a corner crying, begging them to stop. I would be afraid I was gonna be next. Mm. Well, that one specific sibling would always lock in the closet for hours on end, mocking my cries, laughing at me, telling me they're going to let me out just to keep me in longer because I kept crying to be let out. And they told me, they'll tell me, like, hey, if you stop crying, I'll let you out. So I'll stop crying. And they're like, oh, you quit crying. So clearly you like it in there and leave me in there longer. And so there's a lot of issues with me having claustrophobia and the fear of being in a dark, closed room mm. to this day. I was like four years old at that time. Yeah, it's pretty much a lot of the memories of my early childhood too. Um, also, I watched that sibling also stab one of my other siblings when I was five. And mm-hmm. I saw the sibling's bone. And I was the one who had to call 911 because we were home and there was no one else there. And that was when they got arrested, sent to juvenile hall and got diagnosed as a psychopath. Mm. Growing up, witnessed a lot of stuff. I endured sexual abuse from one of the other siblings that I had. And I would just see a lot of violence, anger, witnessing one of my parents threaten to kill themselves if they didn't get what we wanted, threaten to drive us off a canal if we didn't stay quiet in the car, things like that. It was a very helpless feeling of feeling like my life could end at any second without any prediction of when it could end and i became so afraid of death to the point where by the age of 10 i was so afraid that my family would die in a car accident so i would want to leave the house every single moment they leave that way if we ever got into a car accident i would die with them i was that scared of losing my family because Mm. one of my parents would constantly use death like if me and them got into an argument they would tell me well my stepfather's ex-wife heard her mom got into a fight and when her mom left she got into a car accident and died and she has to live with the guilt now of having her last words be words of anger to her mother. You don't want that to be us now, do you? And I'm just a little kid hearing this. So that put a fear in me to never argue with my family, to never have bits of rage or anger. And I had to hold it all in because I didn't want my last words to be to my family, to be anger. And it made me afraid that they were going to get into a car accident and die. Yeah, there was a lot of that going on. I know at the age of five, I was also diagnosed with severe ADHD. Mm. And being diagnosed with that, I grew up constantly being told that the reason why I have ADHD was because God was punishing my family for the fact my father cheated on my mother when I was born. Or my mom was pregnant with me too. And they're like, oh, that's the reason why you have it. It's demonic. It's because God's using you to punish us. So a good majority of my life, I was told that I was the embarrassment of the family, that I was being used by God to punish them, um, that my ADHD is an embarrassment, that it's demonic, that it's not real, that if I take medication, I'm just opening the door for more demons to enter into me. It was a lot of legalism growing up and a lot of violence and anger. So that's pretty much what I remember growing up as a young kid. I thought that was normal for families. I didn't realize it was abuse until I started speaking up later on in my late teens. But I was always told if I talk... No one will, they'll make sure no one believe me. If I talk, they would make me regret it and I'll be held responsible for CPS being called and having the family ripped apart. So I always stay quiet. Sorry. No, it's, sorry. Of, it's just a lot. Yeah. But um, yeah. I know that the abuse did get worse in my teen years. I was uh, sexually abused by one of my siblings' spouses. And the sibling was my foster parent for a while. And I was only eight years old when it happened. The last time it happened was when I was 10 and I reported the abuse when I was 11. My family first called me a liar. And then when the person confessed to sexually abusing me, it was reported. And after months of going through diagrams and dolls and questions and constantly going through it, reliving it in my head over and over and over again. And it was a lot for me to handle. I was labeled the eight-year-old whore by my family since I was 11 years old Mm. and still labeled a whore by my family to this day because of what happened. And I, one of my parents would exploit it and use it for attention and then throw it in my face. And it was one of the things that made me the angriest at God for a long time. And it was one of the things, because I fell away from Christ when I was 13 to 14 years old. 
And it was because that was thrown in my face yet again that made me angry at God. And Mm -hmm. I blamed him for the abuse instead of the people who did it to me and chose to do it to me. I blamed him for it. And I fell away from him for till I was 21. I have like, I have really bad trust issues. So I struggled for a long time. Like I didn't want to trust like nobody. Like I didn't even trust myself. I had huge issues of trying to picture a God that was trustworthy. I had all these trust issues. I had to have a meeting with my pastor. I was like, all right, let me just talk to my pastor and just lay it all on him, see what he says. We had a meeting and I told him all kinds of stuff I had gone through and what I was going through and and then how I saw God and like my view on God and how explaining to him how how I felt and how I saw God and he was like, that's normal because of the way you were treated. It's human nature for us to picture God as how we're treated. It's totally normal for you to think that, Chris, but that's not who God is. And then he gave me verses to read up on and help me understand who God is and stuff. But it made sense because, yeah, it makes sense. Like how we're treated tends to make us see God a different way than he is. I mean, every time someone told me like, God is like our father. And I'm like, oh, that's not good. If God is like my father, mm-mm. and for the longest time, I would think like God saw me, how my family did. I had to earn their, I had to jump through hoops just to earn their love. I had to practically put myself into the grave just for them to barely even appreciate me. And I mm-hmm. felt like, I felt like in a lot of ways I was God's punching bag because I was my family's punching bag. Right. So when people were like, oh yeah, God is like our father, I started associating God with my family and how my Mm -hmm. family's treated me Mm -hmm. so it was very difficult for me when i did come back to christ Mm -hmm. to really genuinely understand like who god really is as a person who god is as an individual instead of who god is compared to my family because i had to separate what was real and what wasn't right and because growing up around narcissism all i was attracted to was narcissists and toxic people so i would constantly find someone that resembled my family because it felt like home to me because abuse was home to me Mm. that's all i've ever known i was comfortable with it i hated it Mm. but i was comfortable it was what i've known if i wasn't stressing out by someone trying to hurt me or betray me or something i didn't know how to function so i mean how i found christ i was stuck in an abusive relationship for four and a half years dude almost killed me i've been through every form of abuse in that relationship and it was it was brutal i was afraid for my life i thought this guy was going to kill me i mean he broke my nose the day after my 18th birthday he broke it again uh back in like i think like 2016 he broke it again because i wouldn't let him do drugs in his car and he tried drinking a cup of lean and i looked him dead in the face and i said if you come any closer to me i'm going to break this cup in this car and I did that. And he broke my nose again by slapping me in the face. Like he was a horrible person. He killed a couple of my animals. And it got to a point where I had to start getting rid of some of my animals because I was afraid for their life. So I would put them in animal shelters and hoping they'll get a good home mm-hmm. because it was better than risking their life to stay with me. I remember the same sibling who stabbed someone and tortured me as a kid. I It was a bad decision, but I was desperate and afraid for my life and send them money. When they got here, they saw like, oh, dang, Kara's in a bad position. They saw it as an opportunity to get me. Mm-hmm. They saw me as an easy target. And I fell for it because I was so desperate to have a relationship with this sibling because they were like a parent to me that I've always wanted. And I created this relationship with them. So I was like, you know what? I want to believe this person changed. And they had to convince an act that they changed. Mm-hmm. So I believed it. Went in and moved in with them. They brought me to church. When they're trying to bring me to church, I used the excuse my cats were going to miss me. So because I'm a terrible liar. I wish that was a joke, but it's not. I told them, I was like, my, I can't go because my cats are going to miss. Me. <laughs> but in reality was previous to going to church, there was a church off of the freeway called a Black Canyon Highway here in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And there's this really weird church and it's called Calvary Phoenix. But at the time it was called Calvary Community Church. And I, it was used to be a store plaza area, but they bought out each store every time it went out of business. They bought the building. 
and slowly mm -hmm. took over the whole plaza area. So the whole area belongs to the church. Oh, wow. And I was thinking to myself, how much of this is church and how yeah. much of this is a store? Like, what is it? <laughs> and I remember I was looking at it, my ex looked at me and he's like, ever catch you in church. I'm going to have to beat you to the point you admit Jesus don't exist. I was mad at God, but mm. I knew he was, he existed. You can't be mad at something that doesn't exist. Right. I knew he existed. Yeah. I was just mad at him. And I told him, like, you don't have to kill me to admit something like that. He's like, mm. okay, how about this? I catch you in that church right there. I'll kill you. And I was like, okay. So I stayed silent because I didn't want to feed into this fire because I couldn't handle it right then and there. So I just mm. stayed silent. It was an awkward silent all the way home. Like a couple years later down the road, my sibling took me to that exact church. Mm. Told me like, hey, this place is really awesome. I feel like this is where God wants you to be. And even though this person is horrible, God even used this person to lead me back to him. Yeah. And I remember going in there because when I was a teenager, I got involved in black magic. I got involved in voodoo. I got involved in a lot of stuff because I was seeking revenge. I was mm. angry. I was bitter. I got involved in stuff that I shouldn't have and I opened doors I shouldn't have. Mm -hmm. And it caused me to just go deeper in a rabbit trail that I, I didn't even know how to get out of. Mm -hmm. I remember going in that church and being angry that I was there, hating everybody yeah. in that church. And I remember I was just, I was angry. I was wanting to throw a fit. I wanted to scream. I wanted to yell at everybody. And then I remember that I see this pastor get up on on the stage and I'm seeing him preaching and I get mad at him looking at him. I'm like, how come this guy's happy? This guy has joy, but I don't. I've searched my entire life for this. What does he have that I don't have? I want this. And I remember I felt this voice like deep inside of me saying, if you come to me, I'll give you peace. If you come to me, I'll give you happiness. If you come to me, you will have joy. Mm -hmm. I heard it, but I was too angry at the moment to even receive it. Yeah. And it wasn't until I came home, I was afraid um, that my ex probably, at the time he was my boyfriend, but I was afraid that he probably drove on that freeway and saw me. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of casually walked in and I looked at him and kind of smiled. He was like, where you been? I was like, oh, you know, my sibling, they wanted me to uh, watch some movies with them. And then he got, he asked me a question. I think it was about like a job question or something. Cause I was like the only one working. I didn't answer it to his standards mm -hmm. for like an hour. He was beating the crap out of me. And I remember he heard one of my parents or family member out in the hallway so he was like okay i'm gonna zero in on them now because everybody was free game to him at that moment i remember i went into the bathroom locked myself in there sat down in the shower crying and i just said to god like you want me here i am what mm. do you want me to do and i just felt like these two arms wrap around me even mm. though i was alone in that bathroom and for the first time in my life i felt wanted and loved and not because i was perfect but i was so imperfectly me mm. and they loved me and my whole life, I searched for love, but could never find it. I searched mm. for it in friendships. I searched for it in so many ways. But every time I tried to do it, it always fell flat. I wasn't mm. very experienced in relationships. So I never, I've only had like a total of four relationships in my life. My marriage right now being the fourth one. I've always searched for love. And I've always searched to be accepted. I jumped through hoops from my family. I jumped through hoops from my ex. I jumped through hoops for every single person that I tried to win their love for and it was never enough and for the first time I felt loved and I didn't have to work for it mm. and that's what made me become a Christian was that moment and I know people are like oh once you become a Christian it's the quicker fixture up your life's about to get better no it didn't no <laughs> it got worse yeah <laughs> because the sibling that took me in was the psychopath my ex was a sociopathic narcissist. My sibling is a psychopathic narcissist. And um, the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath, a sociopath is more sporadic with their anger and less likely to be able to hide it. Mm -hmm. They are more evident that there's something very, very wrong with them. They might have somewhat of a mask and illusion up for a while where they come across as everything you ever wanted lasts less longer than it does with a psychopath. Psychopaths are better at holding up the image. They're better at pretending. They're better at keeping up the image of innocence and being such a loving and selfless person. But behind closed doors, they're complete monsters. And I remember moving in with them. There was red flags that I now realize were red flags, but at the time I didn't. I made excuses for them. I didn't realize I was going through abuse. When I look back on it now, it makes sense. Like in the beginning, 
it seemed like everything was great. I just didn't like that every time I was myself, I was constantly being recorded. I would show on the videos that I didn't like it. And I would tell them like, I'm uncomfortable. Or I told them they're not nice for constantly recording me without my permission. There was one time or I even flat out told them like, you're not funny. This is not okay. I don't like it. And they would post it. There was even one time because I ran into my ex at a Walmart and uh, he zeroed in on me. Literally confessed he was stalking me for the two years that I left him at that moment. It's been six years now, but the time was two years. Confessed he was stalking me. Gave me the most bullcrap apology I've ever heard. And I looked at him and smiled and shook his hand and said, all is forgiven. But then I had a full-blown anxiety attack shortly after. My sibling kept telling me to stop it. Like, this is embarrassing. Like, you need to stop. This is annoying. And then they recorded it and posted it on Facebook. I was livid because a moment that I should have been like a personal moment for me where I faced my abuser who tried killing me. I looked them dead in the face, told them all is forgiven, and I walked away alive. That was hard for me. And I needed that moment to recover. And I got exploited for attention. Mm -hmm. And it would get on my nerves because it's just like every little thing I did, the moment I would be weird because I'm ADHD, I get the zoomies. And when those zoomies hit, I'm the weirdest freaking person you'll ever meet in your life. And um, I'm doing something weird, something stupid. I'm probably going to get hurt from it. And it's going to be hilarious, but it's good stuff. It's good memory. But then I would get recorded for it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you didn't ask. You didn't tell me like, hey, is this okay? And I didn't realize that was a red flag. Like being constantly exploited without permission it's crossing a boundary that shouldn't be crossed especially after you vocalize over and over and like hey i don't like this can you not do it i wish i knew then what i know now that that was a boundary being crossed and that was the major red flag i should have thought of mm-hmm. then on con- like they'll constantly make fun of my laugh in front of people they would use the videos they'll take of me of me laughing or you know having my zoomy moment and show it to people the people not realizing what they were doing was using triangulation to further degrade me and embarrass me Mm -hmm. the people didn't realize that they were being manipulated to hurt me but then my sibling would show them like hey this is her laugh isn't it weird and they'll make fun of my laugh and i just quit laughing in public i would water down my laugh and hold back because i was afraid i would get made fun of Mm -hmm. like and they should show them videos well they will show them videos of uh me being having my zoomy moments and People start laughing at me saying, gosh, she's so weird. What's wrong with her? And I'm over here like, okay, I'm weird. So I need to, I need to hide who I am because people think I'm weird. I want to be loved. So I need to, I need to hide. I need to water myself down so people would accept me. And then my abuser would start showing people like weird things that I would do, like my weird voices that I do because I randomly speak in weird accents, don't know why. I think it's an ADHD thing. And then people make fun of me for that. And so I just slowly started losing myself. Because I didn't realize that my sibling was slowly using identity erosion to strip me of my identity and make me into the version of me that they want me to be. Mm-hmm. I couldn't wear the clothes that I want because I like wearing black. I occasionally will dress up looking feminine. Mostly it's a very, like my style is very dark, very goth. And sometimes very tomboyish. I mean, as you've seen it. So sometimes, you know, I I wanted to dress tomboy, but I couldn't dress tomboy because it makes me look like a lesbian, I guess. I couldn't dress goth because it makes me look satanic. I I had to wear the color pink and I hate that pink color so much. Um, I had to wear the clothes that they would wear because it was what was appropriate, I guess, to wear. And I didn't realize they were making me another carbon copy of them. Mm -hmm. And in the very beginning of me moving in with them, I went from being my weird, dorky, fun self to suddenly being, again, another insecure mess. When I was with my ex, I never had, I had to close everyone out. And I isolated myself because every time I went out with friends, he would threaten to kill himself. He would threaten to just do something crazy. So it wasn't that I was an insecure mess. It was, I was so scared to walk outside and leave the house and him end himself than anything else yeah but with my sibling it was like i was so afraid to be myself that if i was myself that no one would love me and having adhd i already battle with identity issues so it just fed into that more and at the time i was overweight i was about 320 some odd pounds so it was just like then they would constantly use my weight against me like you see it's not that you're ugly Kara. it's that you're fat no one will ever love a fat person like you or it's not that you know 
it's just that you're super fat and the only reason why someone would ever date you is because they're desperate or they're trying to abuse you and manipulate you and so over the years of hearing this because i gained weight from taking antidepressants it wasn't like something i had control over and i quit taking the antidepressants like when i was 18 Mm -hmm. but the the damage was already done so i didn't know how to lose weight in a proper way it was hard for me to lose weight so it was just like i didn't know what to do no one seemed to want to help me so i started resorting to an eating disorder to help me lose weight and so that started like back in 2018 and i started losing weight and people started like seeming to like me so i figured my weight loss was the reason why people liked me i lost 130 some odd pounds from not eating for a long time yeah it was just like my my abuser would constantly feed on my insecurities, like pry on it. And if I hung out with friends, oh, it must be nice for you to have friends. Or if I would, you know, leave the house and go to the mountain and because I had a mountain, I would always hike and stay up there till late at night mm. just to escape everything and pray. I'll get mm. back at yelled at for it. And it was just like I had no liberty to do anything. It's either I stay at home and watch their kids or if I leave, it has to be to church, but I have to be home soon. So I can watch the kids again. And it was just like, there was no freedom to Mm. breathe anymore. Like there used to be. It went from having freedom to none. And it all happened within like a few short years. And by the time I did finally escape my abuser, which was in 2020, I wanted to tell people like, I have been going through abuse my whole life, but I didn't know how to without my family attacking me. And I remember I went on Facebook Live telling people like, hey, I'm going through abuse without saying directly I'm going through abuse. Shortly after that video, hours after I ended up in the psych ward from having a full nervous breakdown from going mm. through abuse for so long and I lost my sanity for a while mm. because the abuse just wrecked me mentally yeah. and then I moved in with my parent and then that was just a whole other level of stress for me because it was constantly fighting one of my parents was constantly trying to get me to shut up constantly trying to tell me like hey you need to stop we're all suffering because of you because your sibling keeps attacking us because of you. And then my siblings start stalking me and like using everything they can. And now they were telling me like how I was so abusive, how I was narcissistic, how I'm this, how I'm that. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck's going on anymore. Nothing's making sense. And I started like shutting down. I tried getting a restraining order, but because they kept using triangulation to get to me mm-hmm. and i only had like one direct account of them directly attacking me mm-hmm. i couldn't get enough information to get to have the restraining order so they had to reject it and while that was going on i was constantly living with fighting and being gaslit and every time i try to talk to one of my parents like, hey I didn't have you when I needed you the most as a kid. You were feeding me to my abuser. You kept throwing me to the wolves and it wasn't fair for me. I needed you and all you did was abuse me. And they would constantly tell me, go, I don't remember or I can't deal with this right now because of my blood pressure. I don't need this right now. Or they'll just flat out slam the door in front of my face. Like they'll go to their room and slam the door in my face. At one point, I just had enough and I flat out told my parent, I was like, you're abusive. You're you're just an abusive person. You, you fed me to the wolves. You, you threw me to my abusers constantly. It's all about you. All you care about is you're safe. You don't care about your kids. All you care about is what gives you the most attention. All you care about is what you want in your life to how it benefits you and not caring if it hurts anyone else. You're an abusive person and I don't want you in my life anymore. Mm. But I didn't realize until more recently that this parent also might be narcissistic, has this thing called Munchausen by proxy. Because growing up, in my teen years, I was constantly told how I had all these mental disorders. I was diagnosed with schizophrenia, bipolar, um, oh man, severe mood swing disorder. Uh, I can't remember all the things I was diagnosed with, but I was taking like at least 10 pills a day. Because of the fact that because of having ADHD, I do I do battle with a speech impediment. It's hard for me to say what I'm trying to say or get out words or sometimes I stutter or mumble it's hard for me to talk so um my parent will go into my psych appointments and tell them like she can't talk so i'll have to talk for her and we'll constantly keep telling the doctor like care has this has that and um would get me pumped up full of drugs they would start um telling people look at her she has so much 
wrong with her and I have to deal with her. So I'm such a good parent having to deal with a child with so many psychological issues. And for a while, I thought God healed me of these psychological issues because when I got away from my parent, all these mental issues disappeared and I didn't need the medication. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize the reason why the symptoms disappeared was because I was no longer being brainwashed to think I had this. Right. So it was just like, there was a lot of manipulation brainwashing in my life to the point where now I'm slowly starting to figure out what the reality is. It's still hard for me to grasp the hold of the fact that my entire life was built on lies and manipulation and brainwashing and gaslighting. I didn't escape that parent until March of last year. So I've been officially a year free from the abuse. Nice. So it feels confusing. I'll yeah. be honest. Yeah. Going from constantly going through abuse, drama, and constant fighting, constantly being invalidated to now feeling freedom, feeling mm. like I can breathe, it feels nice. Yeah. I mean, after I left my ex, I thought, you know what? There's no possible way I can love someone, like love someone. Mm -hmm. I mean, I wasn't in love with my ex because he killed the feelings before they could fully be there because he started getting abusive towards me like six months in. But at that time, I started realizing, oh my gosh, I'm being abused was when I was like eight months in. It was after he broke my nose. But at that point, he was already threatening to kill me. Mm. if I ever left him and then I was thinking to myself there's no possible way I can actually genuinely love someone I've been through too much damage I've been so broken I've been so abused that I can't really feel anything for anyone beyond friendship mm. and then I met my now husband last year I didn't love him in the beginning I cared for him but the feelings started getting stronger to the point where I actually did develop into love mm. and I realized at that point that I was never that broken I was hurt Right. To the point where the hurt blinded me to see that it was that it wasn't impossible for me to fall in love with someone. Mm. But as I healed, I was single for like four and a half years. And as I healed in those four and a half years, I started finding who I was past the abuse, yeah. discovering that I'm stronger than what my family has programmed me to believe I am that I don't need someone to find my happiness because I can find my happiness within myself, mm -hmm. that the labels my family identified me as weren't true. I needed to get help for my eating disorder because being skinny won't make me worthy enough to be loved, that I do not identify with my trauma. My trauma is a part of me, but it's not who I am as an individual, right. that I am worth loving, that the pain that I endured does not define me, that I'm not damaged goods. Mm -hmm. And I have value, I have worth, and I deserve the best of the best right. because God doesn't make junk. He makes right. treasures. He makes masterpieces. Masterpieces are priceless and so am I. Exactly. Right. So stepping into the dating scene was a scary thing for me. Mm. And right after me and my husband, we officially became a couple. I was terrified because I was like, what if I'm not ready for this? I don't think I'm ready for this. I wanted to break up with him the next day. Mm. I was scared. But I kept reminding myself, if I keep running, then the next time I have this opportunity, I'll run again. And then right. the next. And I'll keep convincing myself I'm not ready. Right. And then I asked myself at one point, when will enough be enough? Mm. When will I stop running? Because I'm scared. Mm -hmm. So I just remember I kept giving this to God. And one thing led to another. Then we became engaged. And then one thing led to another. Now we're married. There we go. So, I mean, even though I was born into a family that was just terrible. I mean, I love my family to death. And there'll never be anything that they have done to me that will stop me from loving them. Mm -hmm. They are very mentally ill. And I've acknowledged that. And I've acknowledged that the, the chances of them realizing who they are is not okay. And that they'll stop doing what they're doing and get the help they need is very slim to none. Mm -hmm. And I acknowledge the problem that my family is, but I will never stop loving them. But I can't, I can't ignore the fact they are narcissistic. I can't ignore the fact that they are psychopathic and abusive and toxic and that they don't care about anyone else but themselves because mm -hmm. that is the only thing that they provided me with to go off of, with the, mm -hmm. about how their characteristics are. Yeah. I can't ignore that. But even though I grew up in a family like that, I had the choice to be different. It's been generations to generations that my family have been like this. And I decided as a teenager that I was going to be different. Right. And I wasn't going to continue the family tradition of being abusive and narcissistic. And I had the opportunity to be that way, but I decided not to because I wanted to be something better because I, right. I felt like I wasn't meant to fit in with them. Mm -hmm. 
and I am the first person in my family to break free of the abuse and to wow. get psychological help and to decide that I deserve better than to carry it on. Mm. And now I'm living a happy life full of love, full of compassion. The church I'm at now, which is Calvary Phoenix, ironically, the one that my ex told me if he caught me and he'll kill me. I work mm. there full time. Been nice. going to that church since 2017. They've taken me in like a family. And even though I don't have a blood a family, I do have a, a church family that loves me and right. they've taken me in and taken care of me through the whole thing of me escaping my family, of me escaping mm -hmm. abuse. And they've done everything they could even paid for my counseling sessions, worked mm -hmm. with me when I ended up in the psych ward and made sure that I got the psychological help that I needed so I can get back on my feet. And it took me years to get up from that. It yeah. took me about, I think, two years to get up completely. Like, become functional after the full nervous breakdown mm -hmm. and to this day i'm still recovering but i'm a lot better than where i was and i am proof that you can have a happy life after the abuse yeah amen to that i went through some abuse with my ex and um no physical stuff just mental stuff and to the point where it felt like when she left that i couldn't function because I didn't know how to function without somebody. And I figured that as a man, I'm supposed to be with somebody. And if I didn't have somebody, then I was nothing. And then I had my two kids as well, who just had their mother walk out on them. And I was like, how, how the heck do I do this? This is, this is impossible. And it took me over seven years to get over this, this woman when I finally got to a point and it didn't get to, I didn't get to that point until maybe the beginning of this year and the last year, I realized that the relationships I was having after my ex left was none of them worked because I was trying to find my ex in everybody. And I didn't realize that. And cause she was all I knew. I didn't know. I didn't know how to like be with anybody else, how anybody else acted because she was like my first everything like everything married her and everything so it was confusing for me like I get into a relationship and it would feel a little weird and then I'm like just like it for some reason it didn't work because every relationship I went into I would put it all on me that I would have to do everything in my power to make this person happy otherwise they're gonna leave me too and that meant like everything, like even my own health, just anything and everything. And thankfully, I never put anybody above my kids. My kids always came first before anybody. Anytime I was in a relationship, like I ignored anything about my health, um, anything that made me happy. It all became about the other person because I was too scared that if I was just to be me, they would leave. And eventually they would leave. And I would always think it's because of me. And I would have the worst. I still struggle with today. I still, I have like the worst self-esteem because of, because of that, because of what the mental abuse that she put me through. And it wasn't just her. It was throughout my life growing up. I had people tell me how ugly I was or I would never amount to anything because of my disabilities and I would never make anything of my life because of who I am. I have a wonderful family, thankfully. And yeah, I've, I've seen pictures had... of your daughters. They're beautiful. Oh yes. Um they've been they've been a huge help to me. And my mom has been amazing. Like ever since I can remember, like my mom has always been my support, like trying to help me with things. He's been my biggest caretaker because from being one years old until I was almost 20, she had to be my nurse. Like she had to take care of me of everything that I went through. And so me and her have a really good bond. And I thank God that I, I grew up with a good family, but it was the outside stuff that messed me up from other people, from like people at school or in public or whatever messed up the way I saw myself and the way I thought. And there's things I've heard 
growing up that I've told people and they're like, I never would even think anybody would say that, like have the guts to say that to somebody in their face. And I'm like, yeah, I've heard it all. And when you hear it, it can be horrible. Yeah, when you grow up from like literally a baby until you're an adult and you hear that stuff every day, it makes your mind think, well, if everybody thinks this about me, it must be true. It has to be how horrible of a person I am. But yet at home, I'm being loved and told I'm amazing. But then as soon as I leave home, I'm a, I'm a monster. Like I'm just a horrible creature that shouldn't be alive. And I understand that one. I do. How I felt my whole life. Like I never thought someone could love me. And then when I met my ex, I was like, all right, this is it. No one else can treat me this way. And I'll never find love again after she left. And it was impossible. I was like, there's just no way. And it was hard for me to feel, to feel any type of romantic feelings for people because it felt weird. Like I felt like it's hard to describe, but I felt uncomfortable. Like my skin almost like literally crawled if I felt any type of romantic feeling towards somebody. And no, I get that because I've been there. I've oh, yeah. been there. And it's just, and, and I want to, and I want to feel it. Like I want it so bad. But then when it happens, my mind's like, dude, this isn't, this isn't, this is weird. Don't do, nope, don't do this. It feels Back wrong. Up. It feels, yes. it feels wrong. It feels like you're exactly. a terrible person for feeling this. Yes. And then you try to tell yourself, like, I don't deserve this. And then Mm -hmm. you talk yourself out of it and self-sabotage. Within the four and a half years, I never dated. And any person who tried hitting on me, I would block them. I would call them out on their crap. I mean, I don't know how many posts you've seen me post. Don't talk to me like this. I just want friends. I'm not interested. And, you know, it got on my nerves because it's just like a lot of people wouldn't get the hint. And it was because I was scared. Right. I was terrified to get close to someone again mm-hmm. and it's just like every time that like there was only one date I went on one date and on that date because it was my friends they talked me into it and it was a year before I met my husband and they talked me into it, like hey come on Kara just stop being afraid just take a chance what's the worst that can happen I'm like I can tell you the worst that can happen because it already happened yeah, yeah. but I went on one date and on that day I looked the guy in the face and said I don't like you not like that. I see you as a friend. I can never develop feelings for you more than a friend. You need to move on. I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And I was really brutal, but I don't like to lead people on because that's disrespectful. And I'm like, there's right. no chance. Right. And the guy kept thinking there was hope. And I was like, stop hoping. There yeah. is no hope. And I felt terrible, but it was just like, I'm not going to sit here and lead you on, sir. You just need to accept the reality. It's me, you, never. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's been a couple of times I tried talking to someone to see if it could go somewhere. I always felt so guilty for it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I did. I feel like you don't deserve this. Yeah, Look exactly. at you. Who's going to love someone with ADHD? Who's going to love someone with CPTSD? You think people are going to love you? No, mm-hmm. you're weird as heck. You, then you have that laugh. You think people are going to love you after they hear your laugh? Mm-hmm. Heck no. We don't think you're crazy. <laughs> And then I laughed on the first, like the first day me and my husband started talking, I laughed. He's like, I love your laugh. It's so weird. I love it. And I was like, that is not the answer I was expecting from someone. <laughs> but okay. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> but I get it. Because, I mean, growing up, I was always told I wasn't pretty, that I was ugly. Um, I battled with a, with weight. And either I was too skinny or I was too fat. And um, it was just like with my ADHD, I was always weird, quirky. I was, I never fit in. So Mm -hmm. I was constantly being told I'm ugly. You're never going to be enough. No one will ever love you. You're better off dead than alive. I had all my family members that like my entire entire immediate family either tell me I'm better off dead to go kill Mm -hmm. myself or they try to kill me. Mm -hmm. And so it's just like, and then on top of that, I had kids at school tell me to go kill myself. So just constantly hearing that, I'm like, Maybe I'm really off better dead than alive. Maybe I am too weird mm-hmm. to be loved. Maybe I'm not enough. Maybe I really am that ugly. You start believing it because I always said if the majority agrees, then clearly it must be true. To grow up and be an adult and then experiencing people at my church tell me, you're so pretty. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure I am. Oh, you look so mm-hmm. lovely today. I'm sure I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm always there for you, Karen. I'm like, I'm sure you are, but when will you have enough of me? I, mm-hmm. I love you, Karen. I'm like, yeah, but for how long? Yeah, And I didn't start experiencing love 
by people until I started going to the church that I go to now. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have friends that love me, but it never registered. It always seemed conditional to me. Right. And now, like, after I started going to my church, Calvary, people started reaching out to me. Like, my friend, Josh, who's actually become, like, a big brother to me, when he first met me, he was like, I'm going to be friends with this chick. And he started becoming friends with me. My brain's like, what's your game? Why are you doing this? What are you trying to do? Do you like me or something? You think if you're nice to me, you're going to get with me? Like, do you think I'm that kind of person? No, he wasn't interested in me like that. He just thought I was a really cool person and wanted to be friends with me. Mm-hmm. And my brain couldn't comprehend that. Mm-hmm. And there was a time where he was teaching my nephew how to play drums. And my sibling left us alone in the house, took the kids, left us alone. My Because he was teaching me how to play guitar. And my brain's like, oh my God, this guy could literally rape me right now. Because mm-hmm. every time I was left alone in a room with a guy, I would either get raped, sexually abused, sexually harassed. It would feel uncomfortable. And we mm-hmm. were sitting on my bed trying to do the guitar and he didn't hurt me. He didn't do anything weird. He didn't act weird. He was very nice to me. And I was just sitting here thinking to myself, like, why aren't you trying to hurt me? Mm-hmm. Guys always try to hurt me. And it was like God was using him to show me what it meant to be treated like a lady and with respect and not like an object mm-hmm. and his friendship taught me how to find myself as an individual because him and my other best friend Amani she's been my best friend since 2015 like she knew my ex and everything like that and it was him and her that started making me see who I am past all the bad names and things And when I was trying to figure out who I was past the abuse, I would ask them, like, how do you guys see me? I know it's a weird question, but please, I want to know, how do you guys see me? Who do you see me as? What makes you guys like me? Why do you guys want to be my friend? Tell me, explain it to me, because I can't understand it. Josh told me, he's like, because you're nice, you're understanding, you're funny, you have a great personality, you're compassionate, you're very empathetic, and you're very selfless. You always try to do what's best for people and you put yourself aside for other people. And that's, that's a beautiful thing to find in someone. Amani told me practically the same thing. And I started realizing like all these things that people said about me over the years was never true to begin with. They only projected on me what they thought of themselves. Mm-hmm. They said that I'm ugly because they felt they were ugly. They told me that they thought I was better off dead because they hate who they are as a person. Mm-hmm. They thought that I'm just a terrible freak of nature because they can't be themselves because they're afraid of it. They hate me because I make them feel insecure because of the fact that I have a light to me that they they could have, but they don't want because they don't want to work for it. Yeah. And that's the thing that I've learned over the years with people because mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of the similar things. I know yours is different from mine. Mine's because of my own disability with ADHD and me being the awkward person that I am. And yours is for a whole other reason. Mm. But being tr- like being put down, it all has a similar feeling to all of us. Where we just right. want to be loved and belonged. Right. So, I mean, it was never you to begin with. It was just the people around you just tearing you down because they didn't like the fact that you you were confident you walked outside and you weren't afraid to be you even though you felt like it they saw it as a challenge though right you didn't feel confident but they saw it as confidence you didn't feel like you were being yourself but they saw it as that and they saw you as a challenge because you put a mirror in front of them to make Mm -hmm. them to make them see something they didn't like about themselves i love how god takes us and just shows us off i mean for Mm -hmm. me what I always thought was the most ironic was September 30th is when my I birthday. escaped my ex. Oh, wow. Dang. Yeah, my That's youngest. the day I left my ex. <laughs> <laughs> I left my ex September 30th. And that was the day that God spared my life. And it was the day that I decided to risk my life for Christ mm-hmm. instead of continue living for sin but at the same time with the way my ex was going i was gonna die anyways so i was like you know what i barely knew god at the time i was like but you know what it's from the short time that i know him i felt like he was worth dying for and i took the risk and i escaped 
with my life that day. September 30th, 2017. September 30th, 2018, I got baptized for the first time in my life. I shared my, my testimony of escaping my ex during my baptism. And then shortly after that, I think it was like October 8th, I got the job at the church because I got mm-hmm. baptized at the church that my ex told me if he caught me at, he'll kill me. Mm-hmm. I gave my life back to Christ from going to that church. I get baptized at that church, sharing my testimony one year, the day that marks one year after I left him when I was getting baptized. Mm-hmm. A couple months, like not a couple months, a month, mm-hmm. there around that time, shortly after, I get hired at the church that my ex told me if he saw me at, he'll kill me. Then when I run into him at Walmart, I'm wearing the shirt of the church, my work <laughs> uniform, that if my ex saw me at, he'll kill me. Mm. And then shortly after that, I find the love of my life. Get mm. married at the church, September 30th, uh, <laughs> 2022, at the church. That my ex told me he was going to kill me at. Mm. It's just like every single thing fits perfectly. Mm-hmm. And it's just like what Satan used to destroy us, mm-hmm. God used to restore us. Yep. And what Satan uses to just break us, God uses to remake us. And it's crazy because I've yeah. noticed it with my life where I just love irony and I have like a, a terrible sense of humor when it comes to like dark things and yeah. <laughs> irony and everything. I find it hilarious. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here thinking about it. I was like, you know what? That is hilarious. And what's even ironic is me and my ex, we got together August 16th of 2013. That's my birthday. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm just kidding. August 16th is my birthday. Yep. <laughs> You got all these special dates on my birthdays and stuff. But um, August 16th of 2013 is when me and him got together. Nice. January 16th of 2022 is when me and my husband first started dating. I'm the one who asked him out too, which is the crazy part. January 16th. And then my husband, when he realized the dates, he was like, oh, we got together on January 16th. And my husband's like, and wouldn't you and your ex get together? August 16th. He's like, 16th, really? I'm like, hmm. Ain't that the darnest thing? That's crazy. <laughs> well, then. And I'm like, and it repeats again. Yeah. It's just always the ironic, the mm-hmm. most ironic things. And I just, I love it because it's just God uses those little moments to let us shine in his glory. Right. And I love that. I mean, everything that Satan tried to take away from you, God restored a hundredfold. And that's actually a Bible verse. I just can't remember where it's written. Yeah. But, um, I know that is written that whatever Satan takes away from us, God restores a hundredfold. Mm-hmm. Satan took pretty much everything I had away from me. Like mm-hmm. when I, when I left my ex and came to Christ, all I had was a couple pillows, a blanket, a few pairs of pants and a couple shirts and one mm-hmm. pair of shoes mm-hmm. and a toothbrush. That was it. Mm-hmm. And I was sleeping on the floor. I left almost everything I owned behind to come to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And now look at me. I have my own car. I'm just, I have so much stuff now that I'm just sitting here and thinking to myself, I am so abundantly blessed and I have my own bed, which is nice. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm abundantly blessed and mm-hmm. everything I once lost has all been returned to me 100 fold. Mm-hmm. Satan took away my family. Okay. But my friend, Josh, his family adopted me as their own. They call me sister and they call me daughter and they say, Oh, you know, when the time comes for you to have kids, they're going to have so many cousins and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm accepted in a family. And it was crazy because I remember one time I was praying to God, I'm like, God, I wish I had a family like Josh had. I mean, sure, they have their issues, but they they love each other and they come together. Mm-hmm. And sure, they fight. But you know what? There's still love at the end of the day. Right. And I wanted that. And I look at his family and like, gosh, I wish I had them as my family. And then they're like, Oh, honey, you now are family. We love you too much. You're stuck with us now. I'm like, I'm not complaining. I am not complaining (laughs) because I've always wanted them as a family. And to finally actually get that, Mm. it made me so happy because I was just like, I, it's all I've ever wanted was a family that's big and loving and they care about you. And they, no matter what happens, they're always there to catch you when you're falling and whatever it may be. And that's what I love about what God has given back to me. Granted, right. they're not blood, but family isn't always blood. Right. Family is the people that love you no matter what, that are there for you through thick and thin. 
that stand by your side no matter what and they're going to catch you when you fall and they're going to remind you of who you are when you want to get in your head and get in your feelings they're like you know what Kara shut it stop it enough of this crap get back up remember who you are this ain't Mm -hmm. you get your butt up and start getting going again because this Mm -hmm. this we're not doing this today and that's what means the world to me is that I have people like that granted I don't always like hearing the truth but I need the truth exactly (laughs) because I don't think any of us wants to hear the truth from our friends when they tell it to us like we want to be mad (laughs) we want to be angry we want to be miserable we're like don't don't tell me the truth about myself (laughs) and they're like oh oh it will make you mad yes good let's make (laughs) you mad then (laughs) let's get angry Kara that's what real friends are for exactly and God is giving you a 360 and putting yes. you right back where you needed to be. Mm-hmm. And he's just showing you through this whole thing, like, you know what? I know what you've been through is hard. I mean, we have our identity stripped from us from one thing to another, mm-hmm. whether it be through abuse, whether it be through accidents, whether it be through whatever it may be. God strips, uh, like, what God sees us as being stripped from our identity. He He restores our identity, not through what we classify as our identity. Yeah. but who he sees us to be and who he made us to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes going through these whole cycles of things that have just broke us, stripped us of who we thought we were, the identity we thought we had. And God's like, I got something better for you. This right. is who you really are. Because mm-hmm. I didn't think I could function without being abused. I'll be mm-hmm. honest. I thought the only way I could be a productive person is going through some form of abuse with my family, which Mm. is probably why I hopped from family to family to family member that was abusive because it was just like I was addicted Mm. through the highs and lows. And I didn't Mm. know that a trauma bond is an addiction to your abuser until I started really like diving into this stuff. And then when I started realizing what a trauma bond was and how to break free from it, I started using that. And when I started understanding myself and the trauma bond I was like okay I have this power now and I'm going to use it and Mm. I did no contact did all this stuff it made me see something about myself that I didn't know I had which was strength individuality courage that I was my own person and that my family did not need to control me Mm. that I could be a functioning adult without them and Mm. that my CPTSD is not so bad that I can't function my ADHD is not so bad that I can't function. Granted, the CPTSD is torture. Mm -hmm. I wish I could forget. And I wish I can turn off the memories. I have night terrors. I don't get very good sleep. It's hard to fight past from present when it's constantly a war inside your head. I think when God removes those things out of our lives that become crutches that we've used as excuses to be dependent on those crutches instead of being dependent on God, Mm -hmm. He removes those things and shows us who we really are to show us that we can be dependent on him. And we don't need the things of this world to be a crutch for us to be individuals. Yeah. So we'll wrap this up. Thank you for letting me do this with you. And it's been an an honor and been fun to talk to you and being able to share your story and stuff with the, the world. And I'm sure it will help people too, because your story is really encouraging to to even me because there's days I want to give up and seeing you still going is an encouragement. So. Thank you. That really does mean a lot. And thank you for asking me to be on here. It really, it really means a lot because sometimes I get discouraged and I think, what is my story even doing? Like, am I even really helping people? I feel like this is God telling me not to give up. Because when I talk about the abuse, I get attacked a lot for it. I get trauma shamed. I get told how real Christians don't suffer through this or get told like, oh, you choose to be the victim because you keep talking about it. And I'm like, I talk about it because one, it's me telling my family, you have no more control over me and I'm holding you accountable what you put me through. Mm -hmm. And also on top of that, I want to help other people see they're not crazy, that there is hope Mm -hmm. and they can find happiness again. That Mm -hmm. escaping abuse isn't the end of your story. It's the beginning. Right. The reason why there's a semicolon exactly. because the semicolon is just continuing the end of a sentence it's continuing mm-hmm. a new topic so okay. it means a lot that you wanted me to share it so thank you so much and no problem thank you for letting me i was a little nervous to ask it first because i wasn't sure but i felt like your story needed to be heard by more people thank you
I would like to take this moment to give a public thank you to my supporters who help with the podcast or with the websites or just behind the scenes or financially or whatever it may be. A very good friend of mine, her name is, hopefully I say her name right, is Shannon Joy Schroffnagel? Schroffnagel? Shannon Joy. I'm sorry, I don't know how to say her last name, but thank you for your support with financially and motivational person for me too, giving me encouraging messages when I need them. So thank you, Shannon. And to all of you listeners out there that listen to my podcast weekly and visit my website and such, um, I thank you for tuning in and listening and being part of this journey of this adventure of trying to get people's stories out and providing a place of encouragement and hope for people to listen to. So thank you. You have just listened to Tea Time with Chris, a podcast filled with hope, faith, joy, love, and occasional laughter. We hope you enjoyed it and continue to stay up to date with us at teatimewchris.com. God bless. <laughs>